Rachel Fasham was due to do the talk today, but the eagle-eyed among you will have noticed she isn't here. Sadly, she tested positive for COVID on Thursday. She hadn't finished doing her talk. She's given me what she did have, and I will be using bits of that. But rather than me just standing and talking at you for the whole service, there will be a chance for us to do some discussing later on. Today we're coming to chapter 5 in the book of Nehemiah, which we're working through at the moment. When I was preparing for the service, I thought, you know, it would be really good if I could bring in some connection with the Commonwealth Games. Lots of us have been going, watching, and so on. Some of you are probably not remotely interested. On Friday afternoon, Graham and I, we went to town, we had lunch, we got the tram through town because we could for free with our Commonwealth Games tickets. And as we were waiting at the tram stop, there were a group of Cameroonian supporters, and one of them had a hoodie. And on the back of his hoodie, it said, essential, the fear of God. Now, at that stage, I had already prepared what I was going to say, and not only does it in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, say, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? But the verse that I was going to open the service with, and still will, is Proverbs 9, verse 10. That says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So a reminder to me, as I was stood waiting for a tram the other day, that God actually is with me in everything, with all of us in everything, and we can see words from him in the most surprising of places. I looked up the fear of the Lord because over the years I've heard people say that it's not about being frightened of God and one definition of fear of the Lord that I found is that fearing the Lord is to be in reverent awe of his holiness. So let's be quiet for a moment as we remember that we're in the presence of a holy God Father, we do ask that this morning you would help us to be in reverent awe of your holiness. Help us to be open to hear from you this morning and through what we think about as we look at chapter 5 of Nehemiah, help us to understand a bit more of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, we looked at the opposition from outside God's people to the rebuilding of the wall. And Ben challenged us, among other things, to make time to pray. I remember very clearly him saying, we'll never find time to pray, we need to make time to pray. We then ended chapter 4 on a relatively positive note. Yes, there had been opposition to the building of the wall from Sanballat and Tobiah, but the workers with encouragement from Nehemiah, were persevering in their work for God, and the wall of the city was slowly but surely being rebuilt. In chapter 4, verse 6, we are told it had reached half its height, so the work was progressing. However, the good work that had been happening in chapters 1 to 4 seems to have come to a halt as we read chapter 5. As nowhere in the chapter does Nehemiah mention any building work taking place. So what is going on? People are coming to Nehemiah with various complaints. They're having trouble getting grain during a famine, 
and are being forced to pledge their property just to get enough to eat. They say they're borrowing money in order to pay their taxes to the king and the people who are lending the money, fellow Jews, are forcing them to sell their children as slaves. So let's find out what happens. Dave Locking is now going to read Nehemiah 5 to us. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying... We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued... What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We'll give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they were promised. Moreover, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people, But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work, 
we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. Okay, so what's going to happen now is I'm going to just say a little bit about the chapter, basically from uh, where Rachel had got to in her talk, so I'm using that. And then when I've shared that little bit with you, you're going to have some choice. There are going to be a few questions which Pete will put up on the screens so you'll be able to see them. And I would encourage you, if that's what you'd like to do, to get into smallish groups and discuss one or more of the questions. There is also the opportunity to go into the youth room or lounge. There are some Bibles in there if you just want to be quiet and reread the passage and think about it on your own. Or over there, we have some outline people. And the idea of those is that you can either write in them characteristics of a godly person or colour them or both. But before we do that, let me just lead us into the discussion. There is much discontent among the people as financial difficulties begin to mount and the cost of basic foodstuff is rising. Sound familiar? It's almost as if this chapter could have been written in today's climate. We see Nehemiah respond by using his influence to deal with the officials and by sharing his resources with others. So what did Nehemiah do? In previous chapters, it tells us he prayed. In this chapter, it tells us he pondered, although I'm sure he prayed too. Nehemiah knew that the situation they were in could not go on, and he used his influence and position to call the nobles and officials together, and essentially, he told them off. In verse 11, we read, Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses. But he doesn't stop there. He also instructs and also the interest you are charging them. Finally, at the end of the chapter, we hear that Nehemiah doesn't just get the officials to agree to all of this. He goes one step further. As governor, he was entitled to a large portion of food which was much superior He could have sold this food on and made a profit, but he didn't. Instead, he invited 150 Jews who were struggling to come and join him in the meal he was entitled to. Nehemiah is a great example of someone who is living in godliness. He knew God, loved God, and wanted to follow God. We've seen that Nehemiah prayed in all situations And so when he saw and heard the cry of the people, he knew he couldn't just sit back and do nothing. He had to act. It says at the beginning of the chapter that Nehemiah was very angry, and it's hardly surprising. A lot of people are feeling angry and incensed by the situation we are in today. But Nehemiah didn't act in anger. He took time to think about his response. We need to follow his lead. Yes, we might be feeling angry with what we see happening to people around us, 
But before we do anything rash, we must pray and discern what God is calling us to do. So over to you, the questions which are up on the screen. What was Nehemiah's response to the situation? And how is this an example of living in godliness? Nehemiah was a person of influence. Who do we know who has influence? How can we get them to use their influence? And what should our response as individuals and as a church be to the current cost of living crisis? So you can pick amongst the pulling out the Bible or looking at personal response. So you know I'm on the PCC and you'll remember perhaps from a few weeks ago that Ben said that as a response to the cost of living crisis, the PCC had decided to allocate some funds so that we could do something practical. And that idea is around using the building as a warm hub or a food hub or whatever. I agreed that I would go and speak to the councillors yesterday when they were here having their surgery. It, it doesn't seem as though Birmingham City Council has at this stage allocated funds or any other resources. But I think what came to me more, and which I would request that if you get any great ideas while you're here now discussing, or indeed you go home and pray and come up with any ideas, will you feed them in? You can give anything to me today that you've got, but otherwise an email to Amanda or something, because I certainly think that some of these things, you, you have a great thought at the strangest of times, be that in a, in a time of prayer or just walking out on a walk or something. And we, we need to get everything, because it, it could sound easy, let's use the church for a building, but inevitably there are lots of practicalities around it. And I'm very keen with Ben that we get planning so that we're not up against it and then trying to pull it together at the last minute and not being perhaps as effective as otherwise it could be. So it's just anything, really share it, because certainly the PCC don't have all the, all the right answers and somebody can help us out, be fantastic. And I don't mean help practically, I mean throwing ideas. Thanks very much, Adrian. Okay, so over to you.